Jesus. Isn't that a good sermon series title? Okay, so let me tell you, I'm going to tell you my burden about this series, and then I'll, I'll start preaching. Here's my burden. Here's the reason for this. There are two major deceptions in the body of Christ all over the world, but especially in America, and um, we see it um, sometimes in a few nations, a few countries in Europe. But, but here's, the, here's, the, here's the deception is this. There are people that believe they have a relationship with Jesus, but what they really do is, one side of the pendulum is, they consider a Sunday morning church service to be their Jesus or a religious act or they meet with some believers during the week at a meeting and call it church or whatever they do that that's not church is not Christians meeting together you know the church is not the building but the church really isn't people say oh the church is the people it's actually not the people the church is there's a pastor there's elders there's a bishop or an apostle over the pastor there's deacons there's leaders there's trained people. If you read the New Testament, that's what a church is. But either way, there are people that think, because I attend a service on Sunday morning, I have a relationship with Jesus. And that hurts my heart because I never want you to get to your day of judgment and, and, and Jesus look at you and say, I never knew you. And he says, you never knew me. And, and, and you'll say to him, well, Jesus, I did know you. And Jesus said, no, you knew about me. You know, you did a religious thing once a week, but there was no relationship. Okay, let me swing the pendulum way over here. Here's the other deception is this. The other deception is there are people that, that call themselves Christians, they have a relationship with Jesus, they say, but really, they have a relationship with a person on earth who is their Jesus. In other words, if John Paul doesn't preach a great sermon, I won't be able to hear from Jesus today. If I can't get a hold of Joyce Meyer this morning, I won't be able to spend time with Jesus. Joyce Meyer is great on everyday life. Stephen Furtick is very exciting. Joel Osteen is very encouraging. T.D. Jakes is very wise. Priscilla Schreier is a great teacher, but that is not your Jesus. That's you getting fed about Jesus, but that's not your Jesus. And so how do you know if you are deceived in one of the two areas? Well, here's how you know. If the only time you ever talk or listen to Jesus is Sunday morning, that's a problem. Or if you're involved in some person's life, and if you don't do what they want you to do, or you don't serve what they want you to serve, or you don't follow the um, doctrinal things that they want you to follow, or you don't give money to their ministry or support them, whatever the case is, and if they get upset about that because you say, you know, I don't feel like, then they are controlling you as a Jezebel spirit, and that is not your Jesus. Um, I've been in, I've, I've dealt with people where their spouse was their Jesus. They could not hear from God except for through their spouse. Their spouse made every decision. Here's how we're going to do our finances. Here's how we're going to do this. And that was their Jesus. There are people, I'm sure, in this church that John Paul is your Jesus. You know how much that pains me? You should be more excited to spend time with Jesus in your Bible by yourself than hearing me preach or coming to a Sunday morning service. And if you have more, if you do not have more excitement and more, more, maybe excitement's not the best word. Maybe, maybe it, it, I want y'all to enjoy every day with Jesus. I don't want to be your Jesus. I don't want Sunday service to be your Jesus. I don't want, um, and, and, and you know, over here on this side of the pendulum, there's great moves of faith, and God uses people. Understand, God uses people, right? He uses people. But let me give you an example. Benny Hinn has a gift of healing. When he was in the peak of his ministry and doing uh, seminars everywhere and healing events, there are people that would sell everything they have because they were sick and dying, and here's what they had. I got to fly to where Benny Hinn's speaking because I can't get healed unless I go to a Benny Hinn conference. Here's what they were saying. That's my Jesus. 
Man, if I don't make it to church on Sunday morning, I'm not going to be able to hear from God. Really? That's, your relationship is based on how well our music is here or how well the sermon is or what's going on. No, listen, meeting with people about Jesus is great. Um, I'm having a mentor in your life or someone that you love their teaching. That's great. But I want you to get fed from Jesus himself. And so this series is all about him. And I even had this thought. I thought, God, if you're going to let me preach on whatever I want to preach on, do the service, whatever I want to do, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to intentionally be boring so I can move myself out of the way so they can only see Jesus. And God said, that's stupid because he gave me a personality. And no matter how hard I try, I can't be boring. <laughs> I've tried. I can't be boring. Believe me, I tried. Years ago, there was this pastor friend of mine who was so boring, but everybody thought he was so spiritual. So I remember I tried to be him. I was like, I'm going to be real boring. And it was, it was awful. But anyway, and so, so here's the thing. It's not my fault if you're more excited to hear me preach than you are to spend time with Jesus. It's your fault. And I don't want that. It makes me feel very, very bad. Even though it's not my fault, it makes me feel very, um, it just doesn't make me feel right. So I want you guys, please, in this series to see Jesus. Let me tell you why this is important. 2 Corinthians 11.4. You believe whatever anybody tells you, even if he is preaching about a different Jesus or has a different spirit than the Holy Spirit. Here's what it's saying. There are people who preach and they are preaching about Jesus. It's just not, it's just not the right Jesus. It's cultish. They have rules and regulations and laws and they don't go through the whole Bible. They take one scripture and that one scripture is their whole existence in life. And it's out of balance. And so what we do is we get excited because we like this exciting area over here. Um, we want to fall out in the spirit because if we don't fall out in the spirit, then it's not exciting to be with Jesus. If we don't hear a sermon that's from T.D. Jakes and so deep, then we're not going to be able to hear from Jesus. And, and, and there's gifts of, of, there's movements that have happened in the body of Christ. Um, healing movements, discipleship movements, faith movements. And we're drawn to this. But what happens when the movement goes down? Where's Jesus? I need more Jesus. Jesus has been here the whole time. Or they have a spirit, it's just not the Holy Spirit. And so if you only talk to Jesus on Sunday mornings, or if you need me or anybody else to hear from Jesus, then I need to tell you today, you got to get alone with God and you got to have a relationship with Jesus. Not with John Paul, not with a church service, but you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, I love you so much, but I think some of y'all don't have this relationship because your security comes in some person. Your confidence is in some person. You open up your Bible and you don't even know what to do with it, so you listen to some person speak, and that's great. We need these teachings. God uses these people, but that's not your Jesus. So here's what I want to do. Um, and let me say this too. You know, when it comes to exciting things, I need you to hear this. Noah lived to be 950 years old. 949 years of his life, he was doing the same thing. Life is routine. We don't need some exciting new thing. We just need Jesus. We don't need the latest worship song, which the latest worship song is great. We need Jesus. I mean, for 900 years, Noah either worked on a boat or got drunk and naked. I mean, that was his whole life we read about in the Bible, right? I mean, read about it, you know? It was either bike week or work week. <laughs> anyway, I just get. But anyway, and so uh, that was a joke. I just saw Tim out the corner of my eye, and I thought I would say that, but I, this is wrong. Okay, so Moses went to the same church for 40 years and listened to the same 10 sermons every single week, right? And they took those 10 sermons, they, they, they detailed them all out, but 40 years, the same 10 sermons. That's all he heard. And listen, 
One time God spoke to him through a burning bush. One time. The rest of the life was pretty routine. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. One day in the fire. Everything else was just normal. So what I'm saying is we don't need some huge explosion of excitement and emotions to get with God. We just need the word of God and time with Jesus. The only way you miss out on spending time with Jesus is by not showing up. That's it. So um, in this series, I'm going to talk about um, different things of Jesus. And today in part one, because that was my introduction. I just did my introduction. That was a 20-minute introduction, the short sermon. But today in part one, I want to talk to you about this. Jesus, the human. Jesus, the human. This is so important to me. And it's, I mentioned it was my birthday because because it's my birthday, I want you all to pretend like it's just the greatest sermon in the world because it really means and it speaks a lot to me. But Jesus was a human for 33 and a half years. There's a spiritual word um, called um, incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. incarnation. You see the letters C-A-R-N in the middle of incarnation. Where we get the word carnal. Carnal-minded is a fleshly-minded person. Or carnivorous, uh, flesh-eating. Okay, incarnation. God entered flesh. God became a human. Now, Jesus was around from the beginning. He was there in creation. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You'll actually see Jesus in the Old Testament if you look, if you look clear. If you look good enough, you'll find Jesus all through the Old Testament. However, he became a human 2,000 years ago. Um, Hebrews 2.14, because God's children are human, being made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. So let me, let me set a foundation for this principle so you can really, really get it. There is a spiritual doctrine called identification. Everybody say identification. It's a spiritual doctrine, but the world has decided to use it for itself. So let me explain how the world uses it so you can understand how this applies to us today. A politician will put on a super nice suit, get in his limousine, and drive to a banker's meeting with all these bankers. And he'll say this, Hey guys, my father was a banker, so I know what it's like to be you. I know what it's like to go through what you go through. I know what it's like to have the stress you have. I, I, I feel your pain. I feel, I feel you. I know what's going on. And then he'll get back in his limousine, he'll take off his suit, he'll put on a construction hat and a pair of jeans. And he'll go to a construction site. And he'll meet with all these construction workers and the politician will say, listen guys, my brother's third cousin's nephew's wife's husband, uh, he was a construction worker. So I know how you feel. I know what it's like to provide for your family as a construction worker. Then he'll get back in his limousine, take off his construction outfit, put on a pair of overalls and a flannel shirt, and he'll meet with a bunch of farmers. He'll say, guys, my wife's brothers, uh, sisters, um, uh, friends, nephews, first teachers, second grade husbands, wife, they were farmers. So I know exactly how you feel to be a farmer. That is the illusion of identification. Jesus was not the illusion of identification. He actually became a human of flesh and blood. Here's what I'm trying to say. He knows exactly what it's like to be you. He knows exactly what it's like to feel the way you feel, think the way you think, go through the things you went through. He knows exactly what it's like. Uh, Hebrews 2.17, he had to be made fully human in every way that he might become a, this is the biggest word of the sermon, a merciful high priest. Everybody say merciful. merciful. High priest is the one who talks to God for us. Because he was a human, 
He did not become a judgmental high priest. He did not become a harsh high priest. He did not say, I can't believe you sinned and I can't believe you felt this way and you were tempted that way. He said, I know how you feel. That's why I am a merciful high priest. Because he himself was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Now, by a show of hands, everybody in here, every usher, every, everybody in the mezzanines, listen, how many of you, by a show of hands, are tempted on a regular basis to do things you shouldn't do, say things you shouldn't say, think things you shouldn't think, and act in ways you shouldn't act? Look around at all these sinners in this room. I knew y'all were the coolest ones in Myrtle Beach. Okay. Jesus is not shocked by your sin. He wants to aid you and help you when you are tempted. He's been tempted. In other words, if you say, Jesus, I felt like cussing somebody out today. He's not going to say, shame on you. He's going to say, I know exactly what that feels like. If you say, Jesus, I was betrayed by a close friend. I spent so much time on them. I invested in this relationship and they turned their back on me. And I just, I just feel like hating them. I feel like being bitter. I'm so angry. Jesus will say, I know exactly what that feels like. Jesus, my, my disobedient child's not doing right. I don't even know if they love me. I've tried. I just don't even know what to do. I've tried my best. And Jesus will say this. I know exactly what it feels like to have disobedient children who you do everything for and would give your life for them and they turn their back on you. I know exactly what it feels like. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. It's written in the negative, but it means it in the positive. In other words, we do have one, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Because of that, we can approach the throne of grace so we can receive mercy in help in time of need. It's not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace because Jesus has been a human. Now, Satan will tell you this. Nobody in this church is as bad as you. Satan will tell you already, man, nobody in this church did what you did last night. Nobody in church has the same feelings that you have. Nobody's battled what you battled. In fact, Satan will tell you this. Everybody on your pew, they are so holy. You don't even deserve to be sitting there next to them. I invited a guy at the gym last week. Um, I invited him to church. We have, a, you know, just, hey, how you doing kind of gym relationship. And um, I invited him to church. Here's what he said. Man, I couldn't go to church. The roof would cave in if I went. I wanted to say, do you know who you're talking to, buddy? <laughs> do you know who you're talking to? I mean, come on now. That's what everybody feels like. Satan lies to us. No one's as bad as you. Nobody's as bad as you. So listen. There's a lot of people out there that think that being holy means doing everything that's right. You know, holy, perfect, pure. And people say, well, they're not holy enough to preach. They're not holy enough to come to church. They're not holy enough to sing, right? That's what they say. I want to teach you something that I hope you never forget for the rest of your life, okay? So we're talking about God being a merciful God, and he has a throne of grace, right? Okay, watch this. Um, according to the Bible, what is the holiest nation in the entire world? It's the nation of Israel. Very good. Okay. In all of Israel, what would you say is the holiest city in all of Israel? Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, 
in the holiest city, which is in the holiest nation, what is the holiest place in the holiest city in the holiest nation? It would be the Temple Mount. In the holiest place of the holiest city of the holiest nation, what is the holiest of holy places in the temple? The Holy of Holies. See how I tricked you there? I said that, so see, that help you out. Okay. Of the holiest of holy places, in the holiest place of the holiest city of the holiest nation, what is in the center of the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant. And what's on top? The mercy seat. Not the judgment seat, the mercy seat. Here's what I am offering to you today. The center of God's heart and what God considers to be holy isn't doing everything right. It's receiving his mercy. God's not saying, yeah, I thought you'd be doing stuff right. Now you can't be holy. Here's what he's saying. I knew you'd do stuff wrong. So the holiest thing you could ever do to please me is to receive mercy. He's not, a, he's not a harsh Jesus. He's a merciful Jesus. You know why? Because he's been a human. Let me give you another example of identification, and then I'll go into some last points. Um, if, if Trisha, our administrator, was at a big dinner party, and she didn't know anybody there, and she's sitting at a table with a bunch of other people, and there's some ladies talking, and Trisha's just eating her food, just kind of, you know, in her, own, in her own zone, and all of a sudden, one of the ladies says, my husband would love to be here but he's in heaven because he battled cancer and passed away. All of a sudden, Trisha's going to look up. My husband battled cancer. He also, he lives in heaven as well. Then that lady's going to say, did he go through chemo and you had to help him? And oh yeah, I had to help him for eight years. Okay, immediately, there's a bond. There's a bond that no other person could ever understand except for somebody who took care of their spouse for eight years who battled cancer, Right? I can say, Trisha, I love you, I appreciate you, and I'm sorry you went through what you went through. I feel you, I feel you, but I have no idea what it's like to take care of a spouse for eight years who battled cancer. I don't know, but that lady does. Immediately, there's a deeper bond than I'll ever have with her, and she knows I love her because this person went through the same thing she went through. That's identification. That's what it means that God became a human. Jesus understands what it's like to be a child with siblings. He knows what it's like to be a child for children and siblings. He knows what it's like. I, I imagine that, you know, Jesus and his bro half-brothers and sisters, they're going around, they're playing, and all of a sudden a chariot comes by and hits one of their pet dogs. And the dog dies, and all the kids are crying. Not Jesus. And Mary says, um... Jesus, Mom, it's, Mommy, it's not my time yet. Jesus, look at your brothers and sisters. They're crying. Look at Skippy. He's dead. Do something. Mom, it's not my time. The son, I need you to take care. Okay, Mom, okay. Look, everybody. Skippy's sleeping. Look at that. He was sleeping the whole time. He wasn't dead. I don't know. I mean, he was a child. We know it. And Mary knew who he was because of the angel. She knew. Um, I imagine that maybe Jesus is doing his homework as a teenager. And Mary says, Jesus, I need you to go to the store and get some flour for dinner. She says, Mom, I'm busy doing homework. Son, I need it right now. Mom, please. Joseph, tell your son that he needs to go to the, get some flour. Son, I'm not going to ask you again. And then Jesus says, uh, Mom, 
just look in the pantry on the second shelf. I think there's some flour there, you know? It says in Mark 6, 3, Jesus the carpenter, son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live here. We know he had at least two sisters because it's plural. Four brothers, two sisters, seven kids living in a house. And, they, and Jesus was the half or the step. Remember, Joseph wasn't Jesus' real dad. Imagine what that was like. I mean, I think that one day Mary and Joseph took him on a little field trip and, and Jesus is five years old and they're all holding hands and they walk by the pool of Bethesda. You know, the pool where God would send a messenger every season to stir the waters and somebody in the water would be healed all of a sudden. I imagine they're walking by and Jesus is saying, oh, mommy, what's that? And, Mom, and Mary says, son, it's a pool. It's just a pool. And Jesus says, can I feel the water to see if it's warm? Okay, sure, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, on the other side of the pool, you hear people scream, praise God, hallelujah, I'm healed, you know. And Mary says, Jesus, did you do that? Mom, I'm sorry, I didn't know. You know he was a child from God. He knows what it's like. Jesus understands relationships. He knows what it's like to be single and yearn for a wife, a bride. He knows what it's like to be married, the bride of Christ, this church. He knows what it's like to be married and have an unfaithful spouse or a spouse who has the ability to meet his need and out of laziness and selfishness chooses not to meet that need. I mean, how many times did we hear, um, you know, people growing up with Jesus and his siblings, someone saying to his siblings, why can't you be more like Jesus? You know, what would Jesus do? I mean, I'm sure there was envy jealousy as he was growing up uh, Matthew 26 16 says that on uh, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by a good friend in ministry who he served and helped Jesus understands hard work you know I, I don't know if we teach our kids uh, we can teach people uh, you know things about Jesus but you got to know Jesus you got to know him Jesus worked in the secular world from age 12 or 13 to age 30. 18 years, he was a carpenter. You know, you see pictures of Jesus with a white robe and a clean beard. That's not correct. You need to look at, um, he needs to, like Duck Dynasty. That's what Jesus probably looked like was Duck Dynasty. And he had pencil shavings, I mean, um, pencil shavings. He had um, um, wood shavings inside of his beard with a pair of jeans and a tool belt. And there was no power tools. He had to drive nails for 18 years. He probably had very large biceps. Probably very, very, I mean, honestly, he's probably a very strong guy. Very strong. He knows what it's like to work for lost people who don't pay on time and don't do things right. Jesus understands emotional pain. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected. A man of suffering and familiar with deepest Grief. That's emotional pain. Jesus knows what it's like to be mocked. Remember, his mom was pregnant with him and not married. He was called illegitimate. It says in John 8, 41, the people protested, we're not illegitimate children like you, yelling that to Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to deal with racism. I actually had, I was going to say, every racial slur that represented every ethnicity that we have in our church so you could feel the pain. 
Jesus, but I chose not to do it. I didn't want to offend you too bad, but Jesus knows what it's like to have racial slurs tossed at him, even from his own people. The, the sign on the top of his cross was a derogatory racial statement. In fact, it says in Mark 15, 30, those who passed by hurled insults, let this king of the Jews come down from the cross and save himself. Jesus understands physical pain. John 19, 1 Pilate had Jesus beat with a lead-tipped whip. In fact, the lead-tipped whip, he was scourged probably 39 times. That means that the lead tips would go into his back and pull out his skin. At least, at least we think 39 times. The soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, as they slapped him across the face. And his mom watched it the entire time. He was beaten by three different garrisons of guards. Judas's guards, Herod's guards, and Pilate's guards. They plucked the beard right out of his face. Mark 15, 18 says, They struck him on the head with a stick, and they spit on him. Verse 24, the soldiers nailed him to the cross. Our Lord was tortured to death. Here's my question. When are you going to talk to him about your pain? When are you going to talk to him about your relationships? When are you going to talk to him about your financial situation? When are you going to talk to him about your anger or your addictions? When are you going to talk to him about the areas you're tempted in? He wants to spend time with you. He is a person who wants to spend time with you. He was tortured. You know, one of my sons, Zach, he's 18 now. When he was four years old, I was, um, I was, one of my jobs was I was a musical director at the, um, at the Methodist church for the children's choir. And at the end of each season, we'd have to put a little play on or a concert or something. Well, this one year, I decided, uh, the kids wanted to do this as well, is make their own praise and worship CD, a children's CD. So we brought this band in, we brought this recording equipment in, and the day before, we're setting up, my little son, Zach, he was four years old at the time. He and I were the best of friends. I mean, the best of friends when he was little. The best. He came with me everywhere I went. From zero to he started school at five years old, he would come with me everywhere. He would dress up in suits and ties at four years old and follow me around. Come with me to work. He wanted to help me set up for this CD, and so I let him. And he wanted to carry stuff into the church. And so he wanted, I gave him a little drum, one of the tom drums to carry in. And as he's walking over the threshold of the church door, he tripped and fell, and the drum busted his chin open. And blood was squirting, I mean, all over the place. I grabbed him with one arm. I was 23, 24 years old. And um, I jumped in my car, and I put him in my lap with blood just pouring out everywhere. And I drove 120 miles an hour up to Grand Strand Hospital. I run in the hospital room, 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 and I scream and demand that they take care of my child immediately. I am so hysterical. I am crying so bad. I am screaming so loud. I didn't know this at the time, but they had called, they, they, they called police on me and they called investigators. They called child services. They called a lawyer, someone from the hospital. I didn't know why they were doing this because I was just frantic. They thought that I was insane and I was abusing my child. They said they've never seen a parent so but their word was crazy. I'm going to say, so in love with their child as they, as, they did, as they did me. 
And so they kept pulling me out, asking me what happened. I said, what is a drum? What are we? They thought I'm lying. So then the next one pulls me out. What happened? He was trying to record and he wanted to help me. And he's four years old and he goes to me everywhere. I don't know what to do. And they pulled another one on. on. I finally had to take him to my car and show them the rest of the drums in the car for them to believe me. As they're doing all the stuff to him and he's still crying, I'm 10 times more upset than he is. The doctor says to me, Mr. Miller, uh, we can stitch your son's chin up and there won't be a scar or we can just stop the bleeding and he'll have a scar the rest of his life. And I said, which one's more painful? And they said, I mean, they said the stitches are a little bit. I said, don't give him the stitches. They said, Mr. Miller, it happens all the time. Don't give him the stitches. We do this to children every day. Don't give him the stitches. I don't mind the scar. Just stop the bleeding. Which later on his mom made me bleed. But anyway, and so, um, so to this day, Zach has this scar underneath his chin for the day that he helped me carry drums into a church. Now, he doesn't hardly remember that day. I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, I still get upset thinking about my little boy. He was with me doing a good thing. I let him do this. He's helping me, and now he's hurt. God watched while people abused his child to death. They abused him to death. When the movie Passion came out, there was this debate all across the world over who put Jesus on the cross, Jews or the Romans. And I remember my dad taught me when I was young, he said, John Paul, we put Jesus on the cross. It was us. This past week I was studying. I'll tell you, I've never cried so much as I did this past week studying for this series. And one day I was just meditating, and Jesus said, the Romans didn't put me on the cross. The Jews didn't put me on the cross. We didn't put Jesus on the cross. God didn't put Jesus on the cross. Do you know who put Jesus on the cross? Jesus put Jesus on the cross. John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down voluntarily. The last point is this. Jesus understands bereavement. He understands what it's like to lose somebody. This is very important, okay? John 19, 26, when Jesus was on the cross, he looks at John, the disciple, and he says, I need you to take care of my mom. And from that day on, John, the disciple who Jesus loved, took care of Mary. If Joseph were still alive, then Mary wouldn't go live with John. She'd live with Joseph. So we know that Joseph died while Jesus was still alive. Here's the kicker. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let me teach you, some of y'all don't even know this, but there's four books of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels. It's the main life of Jesus Christ and his ministry. There's other parts of the Bible of Jesus, but these are the main four. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call synoptic gospels. It means they're similar. They have the same stories from different perspectives. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke only record the last year and a half of Jesus' ministry. John wrote his gospel years later after all the disciples were martyred. John's the last one left. John read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He thinks, why did they only write about the last year and a half? What about the first two years? So John writes all about the first two years of Jesus' ministry. 
Without John, we wouldn't have John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Without John, we wouldn't have the first recorded miracle, Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding. Without John, we wouldn't have the pool of Bethesda in John 5. Without John, we wouldn't have the woman caught in the act of adultery. Without John, we wouldn't have the man that was blind since he was born. Without John, we wouldn't have a lot of stuff. John's the most amazing book of the Bible. Read it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When people are making fun of Jesus, they record the people saying, that's the carpenter. That's Mary's son. When John records the times in the first two years of ministry where people made fun of Jesus, they said, that's Joseph's child. Which tells me, Jesus' father died during his ministry. Which means, Jesus could have raised him from the dead, but he chose not to. I believe he wanted to know what it felt like to lose someone you love so he could be a merciful high priest for us. So he could understand what it's like to be a human. So he can know how we feel and what we go through and what we think and how we hurt. So that we would want to spend time with the God who became. Don't let any service take the place of Jesus and don't let any person take the place of Jesus. He's real. He wants a relationship with you. Not a, he doesn't want to date you. He doesn't want a little fling. He wants to be married to you. And that is my birthday sermon. <laughs> That's Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? Oh my goodness. I want my goal, I want all of y'all to just feel what I feel each week when I'm studying. I want you to lay there in bed with me and just let me tell you, oh Jesus is so good. Don't you love him so much? Actually, I don't want none of y'all in bed with me. Anyway. <laughs>